The Guardian. In 1887, Friedrich Nietzsche published his book, The Gay Science. Like many of his books, it's written in an aphoristic style. In aphorism number 125, he introduces us to a madman who in the bright morning lit a lantern and ran around the marketplace crying incessantly. I'm looking for God! I'm looking for God! Since many of those who did not believe in God were standing around together just then, he caused great laughter. <laughs> Has he been lost then? Did he lose his way like a child? Has he gone to sea? Or is he hiding? Emigrated? Yeah. <laughs> Thus they shouted and laughed, one interrupting the other. The madman jumped into their mist and pierced them with his eyes. Where is God? I'll tell you, we've killed him, you and I. We're all his murderers. God is dead. Nietzsche loosed this madman on the world just two years before he himself went mad. And thus, for many of his early readers, the two madmen merged. The singular utterance that God was dead became Nietzsche's most controversial and famous idea. But what exactly did he mean? The death of God is not about uh, whether or not God exists. It's a cultural shift. Something tremendous has happened. Nietzsche is concerned to attack the repressive effects of the Christian church in life in general, in culture in general, and particularly as they've had their effect on him. He's not like, you know, the sort of contemporary Dawkins-esque uh, atheists who thinks it's just a question about God's existence. It's a rejection of God rather than a cold uh, analysis of the furniture of the universe. This is the Big Ideas Podcast. My name is Benjamin Walker. This time around, we're taking a close look at Friedrich Nietzsche's Death of God. Let's begin at the beginning. A portrait of Friedrich as a young man. Well, Nietzsche was born in, in 1844, and he was born into a, 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 a German a pietist family. His father was a was a, a preacher, and uh, although his father died at four, his mother and his sister then brought him up in, in, in an intensely pious atmosphere. Leslie Chamberlain is the author of Nietzsche in Turin, a book about the philosopher's final days. She says that the death of God is first and foremost for Nietzsche a reaction to the overwhelming religiosity of his childhood. And it's very evident when Nietzsche starts to write when he's in his um, early 20s that he's desperate to break out of this uh, very repressive atmosphere. And that comes through all his books. It's a desire for a kind of health, for a kind of um, getting beyond this very heavy repressive force that Christianity represented for him. For him, it was experienced as a tremendous release, as a sort of freedom from this sort of oppressive weight of, of sort of, of religious pressure. Giles Fraser was until recently the canon at St. Paul's Cathedral. He's written extensively on Nietzsche and religion. He says that it was in atheism that Nietzsche found shelter. For, for Nietzsche, atheism became a form of salvation. This is the extraordinary thing about understanding Nietzsche. God is dead! We've killed him! How can we console ourselves? The murderers of all murderers! If you read the passage in The Gay Science it, it, where you find this, you find, you know, the madman introduces it. He, he is obviously incredibly distressed by this sort of wisdom that he brings. Here, the madman fell silent and looked again at his listeners. They too were silent and looked at him disconcertedly. 
Finally, he threw his lantern on the ground so that it broke into pieces and went out. And then he says, you've not understood a word that I've just said. I come too early. My time is not yet. So it's clear that whatever this, the death of God stuff is, God is dead. Uh, it's something that people are going to misunderstand. Um, Nietzsche says that quite clearly. If we hope to comprehend what Nietzsche is telling us, Giles Fraser says, we must first understand that atheism had a very particular meaning for Nietzsche. Now, if you, if you look at the sort of contemporary atheists, they basically start by going, God doesn't exist. That's, that's the, the starting point. Um, that's just not Nietzsche's starting point. I mean, it's true he doesn't think God does exist, but that is not... It, it would, it, I, I think it wouldn't matter to him if it did. Nietzsche thinks God makes us sick. That's Nietzsche's line. There is something about the whole idea of God which constricts and, and messes up the human spirit. And, and that's the sort of atheist he is. It's a form of, um, it's a sort of protest atheism, like, you know, like in the Brothers Karamazov. Um, he's so steeped in sort of Lutheran thinking, where the first question of theology is not, does, does God exist, but actually, how are you saved? Nietzsche feels very pious, because he is also asking the question, how are we saved? And his answer to that question is, we're saved by getting rid of religion, by killing off God. Nietzsche found not only a personal salvation in atheism, but he also believed that he'd found a salvation for all of mankind. And in The Gay Science, he announces that after the death of God comes great health. One of the positive outcomes for Nietzsche um, of the so-called death of God, is that the body is free. It's not subject to uh, Christian uh, pressures and repressions. And it is permitted uh, to feel joy. And what Nietzsche wrote there, for instance, is that um, the Christian resolve to find the world ugly and bad has made the world ugly and bad. And that's very much the point that he took up, that um, the world was a much better place than he had been persuaded by his Christian education to, to view it. And also the body was capable of so much more joy, the individual was capable of so much more joy. So there are many, many ideas in that book which, which celebrate being alive, which are playful, which are dancing, which are sunlit. These are all Nietzschean words and, and not words that he associates with Christianity. But as the madman said, it was too early for talk of this sunlight and dancing and great health. In Nietzsche's time, atheism was not respectable. It wasn't even acceptable. Uh, in a way, what he was writing was much more shocking then than it is, than it is now. He was, in fact, turned down as an atheist. He was an atheist, and they wouldn't have him in the, in the university. So that's an illustration of how strongly the... The culture around him in Germany was officially Christian at the time. But even if that university hiring committee could have overlooked his atheism, it just never would have worked out. Because Nietzsche wasn't just attacking Christianity in his writing, he was attacking German philosophy as well. He was attacking the German idealist tradition, which had come to its summation with Hegel, um, Hegel died in 1831, Nietzsche was born in 1844. 
And in Hegel, what we see is a kind of system, an immensely complicated system of reason, which, um, which culminates in the, in the triumph of sort of reason with a capital R, really intertwined with a kind of divine principle. I mean, uh, Hegel didn't talk so much in terms of God anymore, but it was the great triumph of, let's say, meaningfulness for human existence. And Nietzsche didn't buy that. And in, what, in that sense, the, spreading the idea that, that God was dead was a way of saying that that meaning, that ultimate meaning, was not guaranteed. Nietzsche's attacks on German idealism and religion kept him on the margins of the academy for pretty much his entire life. It wasn't until he went mad that his star began to rise. But in the early 20th century, shortly after his death, a Nietzsche vogue swept Europe. And it wasn't long before he washed up on America's shores as well. As soon as Nietzsche's fame breaks in America, he is never off of our bookshelves. His quotes are never out of our common conversation. In her new book, American Nietzsche, author Jennifer Ratner-Rosenhagen explores the United States' obsession with all things Friedrich. She says that many of Nietzsche's initial American readers were Christian commentators who fully engaged in good faith with his shocking ideas. Um, if this was a thinker who claimed that God is dead, they seemed to think that they were best poised then to answer, you know, to, 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 to reckon with these charges. They read in Nietzsche something that they identified as a problem of their modern Christianity. They looked around them in America and saw liberalizing tendencies in American social life. They looked within uh, Protestant theology in particular and saw certain liberalizing tendencies that made it all too accommodating to the world. And they took Nietzsche's philosophy as a call to make Christianity stronger. One of these 20th century Christian commentators that Jennifer Ratner-Rosenhagen introduces us to in her book is the German-trained University of Chicago theology professor and Baptist minister George Berman Foster. Temperamentally, Foster, I think, is a very fascinating figure. He was a seeker. He was a prober. He had a very brilliant mind, but he was also known for having the most tender of tender hearts. And one of the things that, that Foster is struggling with when he comes to Nietzsche is uh, what he refers to as Christianity as a quote-unquote authority religion. What he grew frustrated with was a Christianity that aspired to be, in his words, a finality. And in fact, he writes a book dedicated to this very theme uh, in 1906 called The Finality of the Christian Religion. In fact, he's one of the few theologians who really head-on takes this get death of God, this the, the God is dead claim from Nietzsche, and instead of seeing it as a you know a shock, just using it for its shock value, actually works with it, and and Foster, in his own words, affirms that a God outside the cosmos is dead. Foster's enthusiasm for Nietzsche did not go over well with his parishioners or colleagues. He was censured and booted from the theology department. But he did find a sympathetic ear in one of the most famous atheists of the 20th century, Clarence Darrow, the great lawyer who defended both Nietzsche and Darwin in the American courts. It turns out that Foster and Darrow were friends. They're both reading Nietzsche. 
they're both finding this notion of the death of God extremely powerful, not only intellectually, not only for their moment, but for them personally. And Foster works with it as a way to affirm anything he can out of his Christianity um, and to make that Christianity robust and vibrant and life-affirming for the century ahead, whereas Darrow's taking it and seeing it as, a, yep, you know, just hacking away, hacking away at the dogma, at the creeds, at the image of a divine father in he- heaven. Um, and it's interesting, Darrow is is called to speak at Foster's memorial service in 1919. And I'm paraphrasing here. He said, if you want to talk to me about a great omniscient good God outside of time and space who directs and orders things, I tell you this is a f- out-and-out lie. How do we know it? Because a man as good as Foster is dead. And I think this is this is just very revealing to me that Foster's death, in a sense, confirms for Darrow his deep and abiding suspicion in, in God. Clarence Darrow is one of many atheists who drew inspiration from Nietzsche's writing. And George Foster is one of the many religious thinkers who also drew inspiration from the same aphorisms. It's as if Nietzsche's idea of the death of God provides a multiplicity of answers to the same question. For Giles Fraser, Nietzsche actually played a role in his conversion to Christianity. Nietzsche will be appalled to know that it was a part of my conversion to Christianity. But it sounds perverse, doesn't it? You can read more about Giles Fraser's relationship with Nietzsche on The Guardian's website. Search for the big ideas and you'll find his piece. You'll also find pieces from Jennifer Ratner Rosenhagen and Leslie Chamberlain. And you can, of course, join the conversation. All that at Comment is Free. My name is Benjamin Walker, back next time with another big idea. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.